This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. I'm joined now in the studio by some rock royalty, uh, originally from Berlin, Otto and Astrid. Good morning. I almost just Good fell off morning. my chair. I was I was playing air guitar for the breeders, and I was so excited. I I almost fell backwards. He did. I was hoping he would. I tried to push him, but couldn't reach him in time. I would have thought that kind of falling backwards not such a bad thing at the moment because you've been hanging out with Circus Oz making a new show. Yeah. Surely you could just fall backwards, then tumble, <laughs> execute some kind of dramatic yeah. double think. twist. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my muscles from just like hanging out with yes. circus people. Yeah. Just by hanging out with them, Richard, they just grow like little mushrooms on your body. Yeah. Underneath of- my, my beautiful flesh, I have six packs. Yeah. Astrid has been training the German reel. Yes. Do you know what the German reel is? Is that like the searing? The yeah, but not. It's two rings with like little train tracks between them, and like little wooden skis. So it's like standing in the big in a big donut. It's like you're standing in the like middle a little of it. mouse. Yeah. Yeah. And then I do cartwheels, and uh, if I get it, I have to be good enough by next week for it to be in the show. Yeah, we don't know if it's 100% in the show. <laughs> because I have to sing as well, and at the moment I'm going like this, as, as I'm going around in the wheel, I'm going, like this. <laughs> so they're singing more kind of what, primal screaming. Yeah, whereas I have to be going, gonna make your face the future, yeah. get down on your knees and pray. So, you know. It's in the middle of a song where yeah. Asad breaks out of drug and alcohol rehabilitation center. Don't, don't give away the plot. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh my goodness. Why did the two of you who, I mean, you are best known, obviously, for live music performances. And even though you keep getting booked into comedy festivals, I, I don't it's quite weird. understand that. But, yeah. but, I mean, you are a rock band. Why did you want to hang out with a, a bunch of circus people and make a show with them? Well, what happened was, it was it's, 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 it's a great story. So yeah. they have a new artist. He's not so new anymore. But three years ago, they got a new artistic director called Rob Tanian. Right. Mm. He came over from Madrid, although he is from Australia. Anyway, he came over and uh, he wanted to make a big rock musical for the 40th birthday of Circus Oz this year. So yeah. he's planning in advance. Very good. He wanted to work with the best band the in best the world. The best band in the world. And so he asked the Foo Fighters... They said no. Yeah, and he asked uh, Coldplay. Yeah, Radiohead. You too. Yeah. Said no. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, he Googled best band in the world. And oh my goodness, what came up? We have a song called Best Band in the World. Yeah, so he's yeah. going, who are these guys? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how we got to be in the show. Mm. I'm amazed he hadn't seen you performing in Europe at some stage on the festival circuit. It is incredible. But, you know, he has been very firmly in the circus world and we have been in the rock and roll world. He's also a dancer. Yes. Yeah, he worked on Billy Elliot in, in like the West End and stuff. Yeah, and he yeah. was in... Oh, and uh, He's been teaching me it, some moves. I was, I was wondering whether he was... I half expected you to be teaching him some moves. But. Yeah, because well, a lot of people think of us as our, you know, our first language is German, but it's not. It's dance. And so that's often how we communicate with each other. And so, yeah, sometimes Rob and I are just hanging out and we don't use words. We just move. It's true. Yeah. No one knows what's going on. We have understanding. Yeah, it's just like... Kind of two crazy guys standing in the hallway and everyone just walks past going, okay, that's Rob and Otto hanging out. Yeah. Undulating at each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I go past to my gym and we all go, ah! When Astrid comes along, it's more contact movement. Yeah. She sort of bangs into us and sometimes we have bruises on our side. 
No, I'm just doing my some karate and yeah. some chops just that's, to get the day started. That's when the dance mixes with martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. But Rob is bringing choreography to our moves, and I think that's 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 like saying, you know, like when you have words and then you have a script. So it's like thoughtful now. Mm-hmm. So in the show, we're not just doing whatever we want. He tells us, "Do you put your leg there? Spin here." So it's uh it's kind of crafted. Richard yeah. crafted crafted I'm looking forward to seeing that craft at play on stage now for people who aren't familiar with uh kind of your oeuvre yeah um uh rotten puncta where did it all begin because you're from you what you can you were orphaned as children yes. yeah because we yeah we, we, yeah we were growing up in uh a place near Berlin called quiet Gr- place yeah it, it's uh called Grunewald it's it's uh like in the woods and uh you know like it was beautiful beautiful place but then when we were um i was nine years old it was my 12th birthday and we were on the way to the zoo yes and our parents um they were killed by a lion it was a lion it was a a big hairy lion obviously it was a it wasn't that was a train astrid wrote this song called the 415 to spandau will not run today yeah which is all about how that happened how they were killed by the train on the way to the zoo and so she goes around and just because she had written this song she tells this story but it's not true it is true richard it features on the album that you have right in front of you anyway so uh but then we ran away back to after that terrible incident uh we go into quite a lot of detail of that in the show so i won't say too much but then basically yeah we grew up our teenage years in berlin in, in berlin yeah, in a living squat. in a, a squad with lots of different artists sculptors painters we actually coincidentally turned up on the day that the berlin wall fell down in Berlin. Everyone and, was making a party in yeah. the streets. There were fires going in bins. We didn't know what was going on. We thought it was for us or yeah, just happens just thought, every night. Wow, Berlin's excited that we're turning up. Yeah. But no, it was a big day. And then, you know, all the people from the east were running to the west and all the people from the west are running to the east. very confusing. Yeah. And so we found ourselves living in a squat. And, you know, like lots of people living in squats were in punk bands and they're listening to like uh, all sorts of bands like, you, you know, Kraftwerk, but also bands maybe you haven't heard of here like uh, Die Totenhosen, which is the Dead Pants. Yeah. They're a big punk rock band. Yeah. Like all these bands from the Deutsche Neue Welle. The German New Wave. Yeah. yeah. And then we saw David Bowie at the at the Deutsche Halle, and that changed our lives. Yeah, that was, I remember, it was the 8th of April, 1990. Yes. And uh, He was like a golden angel for yeah. us. Yeah, changed everything. Yeah. Then we started a band. Yes. And Astrid, she um, stole some instruments. No, they were left outside of a primary school. Yes. And uh, That's why we have miniature instruments. Yeah, they're from the local little school. Yeah. So I have like a half-size uh you know, flying V and a half size Les Paul, and uh, and I have a, I think it's a quarter size drum kit. Yeah, it's very small. Very small. It's only like a fourteen inch kick drum, huh? Yeah, like my my pearl firecracker snare is only ten inches, but yeah. ten inches is good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it must make touring more easily, more easy when you have compact instruments. Yes, that's yeah, true. We, yeah, everything comes with us on the plane. Yeah, we don't have to do the uh, the freighty thing. Yeah. So, how did you get from Berlin? 
and squats and underground to international fame and Melbourne. It took us a long time actually long, because long time. yeah, like we were we hadn't we hadn't written any songs or done any concerts. We spent like the first few years just working out how to pose for photographs. Yeah, we argued a lot. It was hard to write a song because we couldn't really decide on anything. Yeah, so we just kind of made noises and growled and just yeah. got used to how to hold the sticks and things. I would make a suggestion like for a title of a song, and then Astrid would disagree. I would say another suggestion. Astrid would speak louder than me, and usually that was the end of it yeah but now we have four albums of music yeah and we've written all new songs for this show with Circus Oz yeah and our, uh, our first album Die Rotten Fahrten which is the Red Journeys uh, that was you know we didn't really know a lot about recording they pretty much just turned on the tape and then we just we talked and we played and stuff so all the talking is on the album yeah it's very unusual avant-garde yeah, well now yes now people would think it was genius but then I think they just thought we were stupid yeah i think we got better at recording um with the nest album turning the buttons on and off yeah so just getting the songs and not the arguing in between yeah the yeah. next one was super musician on german super musikant and uh then construct art rock yeah we tried to make like an arty album you know that was construct yeah but didn't sell very well so then we made euro smash which yeah. is a big hit with lots of dance tracks yeah, yeah. And what's the music like for the new show with Circus Oz? It's a mixture of all things. And actually, even because it's like a, like a circus rock opera, there's even styles that we haven't even done before. Like in this new show, there are some songs that are written specifically for the show. Uh, the one that Astrid might Gotta be doing. Gotta get back. Yeah. Get out of my way. Yeah, that's more like a, you know... A, What do you call you know highway to the danger zone? Like from Top Gun. Yeah, that kind of like feeling. kind of like a power ins inspiration song, you know, like a call to action song. Yeah, and then also I sing a, a beautiful ballad called uh, "I Will Be Your Lion." I got a song. It's a uh, early Pink Floyd kind of, uh, you know, sort of art, like uh, like it's like a space ballet kind of thing. I. I I don't. I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, we like want people to come and hear it in that one. And yeah. is the music and the the circus? We were talking about Rob Tanning and choreographing before. So, yeah. uh, uh, am I going to be seeing when I come along to see uh, the, the new show? Am I going to be seeing Circus Oz acrobats kind of uh, hurled around the stage? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in time with your kind of rock and roll styling. Well, yes, they're, yeah. they're playing like all the parts from our lives. So, like in one scene, uh, like Kyle and Matt. Caratophy and Matt Raftery. Raftery. Or Raftery. Raftery and Matt Wilson, like they play our aunt and uncle. Yeah. And April Dawson plays their dog Mitzi. They're like the villains of the show. And in another scene, everyone is playing bakers in the bakery that I worked at as a teenager, earning money for Otto and I. So and they have plate spinning and yeah. acro. So the circus is all the way through the show. Like it's it's like You know, a big, you know, it's a, it's a collaboration, so it's huge. There's six acrobats, the two of us, and also a four-piece live band, which is, um, you know, Casey Bonetto from the Keating show? I do. Yeah, he is the musical director of this, and uh, he's playing in the band. And yeah. also um, guitar blues legend Shannon Bourne is playing. Yes, Tamara Murphy on bass, yeah, she's a legend. Dean Matters on the drums. Yeah, he's my second drummer. So I'm lead drummer, he is like backup drums. I've never seen a band with backup drums before. Yeah, yeah I don't think Dean knows that he's backup drums, but he will find out on Monday. James Brown used to have two drummers sometimes, and interestingly, Roxette. When I saw them live, had two drummers. Yeah, I think uh, 
I've forgotten the name of the band, but the one with the angels, with the 16 people on stage. Uh, um, we went and saw them. Oh, Arcade Fire. No. <laughs> the one with all the, the women that dress as angels, the backing singers. Oh, oh. They're um, amazing. You know uh, who I mean? Yeah, I know. I'm going to think of it. I think I'm going to explode in a moment with who this is. <laughs> it's um, on the tip of you can call, call in, Melvin, if you know who I'm talking about. Gotta uh, be in 2,000 places at once. That one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you've Do just tuned you in. Do you hear me? Do you? Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, if you've just tuned in, uh, I'm talking to Otto and Astrid from De Rottenpunkte, who uh, have collaborated with Circus Oz to make a brand new show, Rock Bang. So it's a circus rock opera. Yeah. Is there any actual opera in it? Can I... I, I I, I would like to see one of you tackle an aria. Ooh, well, yes. I think in some ways it, it's more like, you know, a rock opera in the tradition of, like, uh, Tommy in The Who or, you a know. one while she's away. Yeah, like, and also, you know, where Green Day was sort of taking that as well. So you'll definitely hear parts in there where you go, oh, I can see The Who there. But it won't be like uh, Traviata, like no. we're not going, Wow, that was really good. Yeah. I've never heard you do anything like that before. Yeah, you may never hear it again. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's not like, uh, I wouldn't call it like a musical. Polyphonic Spree. Yeah. That was the band, Polyphonic Spree. Polyphonic Spree. Um, yeah, it's not like a musical in the sense that, you know, it's got that rock opera thing where you, you're going to places that sometimes are just for the rock. You know, it's just for rock and roll's sake. And we like that about it. You know, sometimes when you're watching Tommy, you're like, okay, so it's a pinball wizard who is deaf, dumb, and blind kid. And it's like, that's really weird, but I love it. Our show is a bit like that sometimes too, I think. I'm expecting it will be weird and I'm expecting I will love it. Circus Oz Rock Bang uh, with Otto and Astrid uh, of Der Rottenpunkte is having its exclusive world premiere season at the Cooper's Malthouse in the Merlin Theatre, 113 Sturt Street, South Bank. Tickets range from 40 to 59 bucks, including a booking fee. You can book at malthousetheatre.com.au or call 9685-5111 if you want to speak to a human being. You know what's cool? They've done this deal that if you are under the age of 30, you can get a $40 ticket. Yeah. So it's like quite cool for, you know, students and anyone who is like young. And 40 bucks to see uh, an internationally famous rock band. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah, 12 I mean, people on stage at the Merlin. Yeah. 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 That's a bargain. Now, there is, uh, I have in my hot little hand, um, uh, the new album. No, this is super No, that's musical. actually an old that's album. an old album. Yeah. Okay. But it's got the song Rock Bang on it. But you could play anything from there. Well, should I play Rock Bang? Sure. May as well. Yeah. The reason we gave you this album is because it has the title track. We haven't made a new album yet for this show because it's so, so new. Like, things could change b- before we actually start yes. performing. I put a song up four semitones and a song down two semitones. Who knows what semitone Ooh. will happen tomorrow. Yeah. Radical. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I know. <laughs> It's going to be fun. So the details again, uh, Circus Oz Rock Bang at the Malthouse Theatre in the Merlin from the 15th to the 25th of November. Yes. So you're still making it. So yeah. it's still like it's, it's a month away. Kind of two weeks, two, two and a half, two weeks. and a half weeks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so anything could happen in two and a half weeks. Yeah. Semitones, new songs, um, German wheel tricks, German wheel tricks. Yeah. 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 Otto and Astrid, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in. Nice to hang out. Thanks, Richard.
Last night, the Sydney Festival launched their 2019 program. So if you're thinking, oh, once January's on, what can I do? Should I get out of town? Where do I go? Can I see some art while I'm there? I think you'll be uh, intrigued to hear what my next guest has to say. Wesley Enoch is the Festival Director of Sydney Festival and joins us to chat about his 2019 program. Good morning, Wesley. Good morning, Richard. How are you? I'm very well, very well, and uh, always a pleasure to catch up. It's interesting with this particular program, we're very much focused on what is going on with art in Melbourne, but the sector is a national ecology, and what happens in one city clearly influences another, uh, and obviously... uh, work travels between states. You also get some lots of lovely exclusives that people have to go to Sydney for, though. <laughs> yes, I, I, I must say, one of the great things with Melbourne Festival, great colleagues there, we, we have a, a thing called the Major Festivals Initiative where all the major festivals of the country collaborate and help support small to medium companies to develop new work, especially works of scale. And so um, some works that people may have seen at the Melbourne Festival, like One Infinity... Um, which is Gideon Obazanek's new work with a uh, collaboration with the Beijing Dance Theatre, amongst others, and also Ghost in My Suitcase, which is Barking Gecko show from, uh, from Perth, looking at um, the book of Melbourne-based writer Gabrielle Wang, and so that'll be happening at the uh, Drama Theatre at the Opera House, so it'd be great. These works, these Australian works that are happening around, having a, uh, an extended life, multiple lives around the country, and they'll be at Sydney Festival. But yes, some, a few exclusives, a few things worth travelling to Sydney that you can only see in Sydney, um, which I know lots of um, tourism bodies love that talk, so <laughs> we're here to support it as well. Absolutely. Um, I'm really glad that One Infinity has is being given a, an additional life through the the major festivals yeah. initiative. Having seen it here in Melbourne, it's a glorious work, and it's so, it, fascinating on a number of levels uh, to see the this kind of idea of uh, audience participation in choreography being extended that we saw Gideon Obazanek doing with Attractor, the work that he and uh, Lucy mm. Guerin in, uh, choreographed together with the dancers of Dance North, who are again in One Infinity. Um, but you've also got, uh, I believe, Dust by uh, Dance yeah. North in your program as well. So uh, the, the Dance North crew get uh, not one but two goes. That's right. Well, I think they're really, well, you know, it, it's a bit confectious to say it, but, you know, they're a very hot company at the moment um, coming from Townsville. But this notion of that what they're doing, I think um, both Amber Haynes and uh, Kyle Page, who are the artistic directors of Dance North, who have had a long history working with oh, Chunky Move and Australian Dance Theatre and, and freelancing around, they've got a very new interesting energy and it's one of those things that you go often we overlook the regional voices of australia the voices that are happening outside the major capitals and uh there sometimes gives you a freedom to do something different i think dance north's doing exactly that collaborating with artists internationally and nationally and touring internationally in a way that i think oh extraordinary and dust is one of those works where it's a collaboration with um liminal studios out of tasmania uh and uh, uh different uh, musical artists artists from around the world, looking at this notion of fragmentation and the physical, the bodies in space, just the physical manifestation of it is this massive wall that starts at the beginning of the, the show where you can't see everything that's happening on the stage and then eventually it gets turned and broken down and in its composite, composite parts, it starts to shape the space in a very different way. So it's very architectural and also the choreography um, has this kind of lightness to it 
it's almost like the character of regional Queensland through movement. There's kind of long lines, there's kind of sweaty bodies working in space. So uh, I look forward to seeing dust here in Sydney Festival. I think it's fascinating to see those two works programmed uh, in Sydney Festival next year and having seen both of them as well, because I saw Dust Up in Brisbane, uh, at, oh, yeah. uh, at Brisbane Festival, the fact that one work is about fragmentation and the things that divide us uh, and One Infinity is, is the opposite. It's about us coming together um, uh, and whole. So it, it, there's a, a lovely kind of uh, conversation going on between those two dance works. To step back for a moment, to think about uh, the the 2019 Sydney Festival program, kind of uh, the overview of it. I know you don't program thematically. You don't <laughs> say, I will do this theme and, and pick works that match it. But nonetheless, you are, I think, quite canny at, at seeing what the zeitgeist is in the sector and, and uh, pulling in other works that perhaps respond to it. And I know that one of the themes that, you're ex- that you've picked up on and is being explored next year is the notion of, of human endeavour and how collectively as a species sometimes we can come together and certainly it's something that we need to do in terms of, of addressing climate change. But you've, you're, you're, you've picked up on the fact that next year is the 50th anniversary of uh, the, the first moon landing and exploring human endeavour through that anniversary Tell us more. Well, I mean, people who are old enough to remember when... You and I aren't old enough to remember, obviously, but the idea (laughs) of when when, uh, Neil Armstrong and and the team there stepped foot on the moon, it stopped the world. We were all watching it. It captured our imagination. And that comes after a, a decade or more of research and development. And it was almost a response to World War II. This notion of saying, in World War II, the great technological... Um, advances, the great advances in science that comes from war. There was no appetite for war, but still this need to kind of gather um, our technological thinking and to take the next step. We're thinking about computers, we're thinking about rocket, uh, rockets that can do um, uh, more than just send bombs. The idea of a flight becoming more jet propelled. All of these amazing ambitions came from this ambition to look towards the moon. And the US and, and Russia in particular led that to conversation through both collaboration and competition. And this notion for me of going, well, maybe we need something similar to deal with climate change now. We need to look not just about us being isolated individuals, but how do we think collectively to achieve major social and, in this case, environmental goals? It's something that governments have almost um, abdicated as a responsibility. They've stepped back. And so we need to step forward as a collective. It's wonderful to watch the conversation from business around that at the moment, but we as individual citizens need to think about that. So, I mean, without being too kind of, you know, silly about it, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing is just for me to to say, let's have a few conversations about that. And we've got a few installations, mostly free installations. And one of the big ones we're doing is called um, Fly Me to the Moon, where we're asking the people of Sydney or the visitors to Sydney to jump on their bike and collectively for us to gather 380,000 kilometres, which is, represents the distance between the Earth to the moon. And that if we can get on our bikes for 380,000 kilometres, we will make a difference.
I don't know how many cars that means getting taken off the road, but we know that it has an impact on emissions. We know, too, that we can own the roads and think about the roads in a different way. And just the idea that if you can prototype behaviours, you can change behaviours. And so for us, getting on your bike is part of it. And, you know, we've got an installation at World Square, which is a, a, a shopping district here in Sydney, and that you can, you can come along, get on a bike there, add a couple of kilometres in your lunch break if you like to, and then kind of keep coming back day after day and if you do it little bit by little bit you can actually add 20 or 30 uh, kilometers to the to the task so it's a, it's little thinking like that which is great i mean one of the other big themes that we're thinking about too is this idea of migration and it's interesting george megalogenes talks about this idea he's economist uh, social commentator talking about uh, every time we have shut off from the world economically over the last let's say 100 odd years we have economically gone backwards that migration drives a lot of economic activity and that we need to be reminded that the story of australia is a migrant story on on the whole i mean sure there are um, the first nation stories as well that we can talk about but so a lot of our work like ghost of my suitcase i talked about is very much saying how do we connect with others how do we kind of go beyond our kind of sense of our our island border our, our coastline border and know that we have been inviting and having people land on these shores for more than just the 250 years since cook but before then the macassans and the portuguese and the dutch and the, everyone who's come through and touched these shores and that we've had ever since then uh, lots of people coming through when we think about the waves of migration not just the last 20 years but the last 50 years i remember going to school with lots of people who had got on boats from vietnam and come to australia and a sense of they make our country stronger not weaker and the more we can embrace it the better so as artists we try to do that so we've got um great shows like uh, we've got nina cherry coming and she's living in Sweden, and she's done a number of works as part of her latest album about the migration issues in, in uh, Europe in particular. Um, we've got a work called um, Counting and Cracking, which is at Belvoir Street, which is looking at four generations of Sri Lankan migrants, uh, well, Sri Lankans who were in Sri Lanka during the Civil War and then post-Civil War coming to Australia, and this notion of what it means to find places of safety, that Australia represents a place of safety in many ways. And Old Stock, which is a lovely show from Canada, looking at the Jewish migration from, in this case, from Romania, post-pogroms, early 20th century, that went to Canada. And through a kind of beautiful klezmer music, Ben Kaplan there doing this amazing kind of emceeing, singing all the way through, telling a love story of arriving in Canada. And if you like, as a kind of allegory of saying, well, how when you embrace people of that are different to you perhaps in this case the jewish diaspora that in fact they bring strength and our fear stops that not the reality of it so our fear stops us from uh, engaging and creating a, a homogenous community a, a community that works together rather than uh, any kind of reality of cultural differences now, as well as that story of uh, of migrants, you're also uh, obviously there is a, a a core part of the program that is specifically uh, addressing the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander experience, history, and story. And I love the fact that your festival is not just presenting work, but teaching people in Sydney to speak language as well, because it's mm. through speaking language that we truly become intimate in our understanding of culture. Uh, so, talk to us uh, about the some of the the work programmed as kind of blackout your indigenous program yeah. well just 
to start too, it's interesting that a lot of indigenous languages have very limited use of adjectives. And so the notion of speaking in indigenous languages is often about complex metaphors. The more you know about the landscape around you, the trees, the, 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 the wind or topographical features, the more vocabulary you have. So you don't have a tall man, you have a man who is a tree. And the more specific characteristics about a tree, the more specific metaphor you can make. So in fact, language connects you to place. And so that's really amazing. And, and by knowing the stories of place, we have a, a stronger uh, a belief that we can sit in this land. One of the stories we have is called Man with the Iron Neck. It's by a local company called Legs on the Wall, a very beautiful piece around resilience and and suicide in Aboriginal communities. Ursula Jovic is the writer, and people will know her as a, an actor, a singer, a performer, and this is one of her first professional uh, writing gigs. This Legs on the Wall is a physical theatre company, so through physical um, storytelling, through, through bodies in space, there's lots of um, flying in terms of technical um, uh, aspects to the work, but also lots of performance, spoken word in it. And it's a very moving piece. Again, it was in Brisbane Festival and one of our major festival initiative collaborations across the country. And it tells the story of a family dealing with not just one, but a series of suicides that have kind of brought on a, uh, a deep uh, melancholy, deep depression, a deep uh, hurt in the family, and how do they overcome it? How do they find a hopefulness and a resilience in the face of this? It's a very interesting and important piece, and, and one that I want to make sure that audiences know what they're coming to, because there is grief in this work, and some people aren't ready um, to, to look at a grief in, in a theatre piece like this. We've also offered a, a work called Spinifex Gum. Um, Felix Rebel, who's from the Cat Empire, uh, went to the Kimberley and did a residency there, and he wrote a song cycle of amazing songs, uh, and an all-Indigenous female choir sings these incredible... And they're all teenagers. Amazing work. And we're going to be putting that in the uh, opera house at the concert hall. And the, the, the amazing thing is that you know, we're talking about resilience, the idea of song, the idea of kind of putting voices out there. Gondwana choirs have been a great force in this work. And Peter, um, Peter Garrett's going to be on stage, Emma Donovan, Briggs. This sense of celebration, yes, telling the truth, but a celebration of resilience. Um, and one of the little things I want to talk about is um, the Always sculpture. Yes. Which um, people might know this the, the term always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And so for the time of the festival, all of January in Sydney, on the headlands at Barangaroo, we will have a 5.5 metre high, 28 metre wide um, sculpture that says always. That anyone travelling on a ferry, anyone looking down from the bridge, anyone kind of walking around Barangaroo, we see this word always. And we're inviting people to consider what it means. To, to be standing on Aboriginal land at this case. We're, we're working with Jacob Nash, who's the designer in residence at Bangara. And we, we've also been talking to Noel Pearson about this notion of um, Australia Day, the 26th of January, because it, it falls within the dates of the Sydney Festival. And I, as an Aboriginal man, feel some responsibility to hold these conversations in a sacred, important way. And so on the 25th of January, we're inviting anyone who in Sydney or who's visiting Sydney to come down to Barangaroo Headlands, and we're going to hold a vigil from the dusk of the 25th through to the dawn of the 26th so that we can get a sense of 
um, reflecting on what the day before the arrival of the First Fleet would have been like for the, those who were watching from the shore as the ships came through the, the heads at Sydney and into the Sydney Harbour and go, what would, have, what would it have meant for the, the Darug, for the Eora, the people of Sydney, the Sydney area, to be looking at these ships and seeing, or maybe not knowing yet, that their lives might be changing and that we need to add into this conversation around an Australia Day, be it on the 26th or whatever date, I'm not going to get into that discussion, but whatever it means, we need to reflect on the Aboriginal experience before the arrival of the British. Noel Pearson talks about three narratives. He says that Australia is made of three narratives, the, the oldest, continuous living culture on the earth, the British colonial project and the institutions we've, inve- we've inherited, and also the most successful multi-ethnic, multicultural nation on earth. That is Australia's story. And so throughout the Sydney Festival, I keep wanting to reinvest and retell those stories that we know inherently as we walk the streets and live our lives and have our families, that those three stories are always around us and that we can't deny them. I love the fact that the through art, uh, the people of Sydney and those visiting it during summer will have the opportunity to experience these conversations, to invest in these conversations and, as you say, to reflect on what Australia is, was and will be as well. The Sydney Festival 2019 is running from the 9th to the 27th of January. You can pick up the full program at www.sydneyfestival.org.au. There's so much more in it to unpack and talk about that we haven't even touched on. There's a (laughs) Uh, A provocative response to the Me Too movement, uh, which uh, I know when you saw, I think kind of half the theatre walked out. But uh, there's circus, there's joy and celebration, there's provocation, there's challenge. There's a really rich array of events in there. And also, uh, Wesley, I believe that uh, congratulations are in order because your contract at the festival has been extended. You've been by, what, another two years? Yeah, amazing. I'll be doing 2020, which is great, because that's the Cook uh, 2050 anniversary, 250 anniversary, so I'm interested in, in talking about that, and also 2021. So, yeah, it, it, it's a great plus. So, yeah, thank you for that. Well, congratulations, and congratulations on the program for 2019. Uh, it's a really rich and intriguing-looking festival, and uh, I'm hoping a few people listening will uh, take the opportunity to pick up a program and book some tickets and head up to Sydney for summer. Wesley Enoch, thank Always you so much. Always welcome. Always welcome. Thank you, Richard. Uh, and we will turn our attentions now to a new production of Crap's Last Tape by Samuel Beckett on at 45 downstairs. Lawrence Strangio, the director of the production. Lawrence, hello. Hello. And uh, we're also joined by Max Gillies, uh, actor, satirist, impersonator and much more who is performing in the play. Max, welcome. Good morning. <laughs> so I, I, I guess as a general question for you both, is there any point in doing Beckett at the moment given that his estate are so strict about how it must be staged? There's... Is there really any opportunity oh, for you, experimentation? You've got to have some grit to run up, rub up against, surely, in order to make the pearl. Um, yeah, look, it, it's the joy of doing Beckett is is the the language and the the you know the the world that he creates. And I suppose yeah, we have to deal with the estate. There's always those things, and you have to. Uh, <coughs> it, it, Beckett isn't the only 
recent, recently alive playwright that it's necessary to keep doing that is constrained by a by a, um, a repressive uh, <laughs> regime re- reactionary <laughs> regime yeah um, he's just one of the most recent ones but um, we could get in big trouble for doing for saying these things uh, no, yeah. well you I'm not, I, I feel very strongly about it <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, and I'm, I'm not the only person to to have Con, you know, chafed at the bit. The interesting thing is, I, as Lawrence knows, I was in a production of this s- some years ago now. In fact, uh, it was 19, 1968. Wow. So you work out the maths. Yeah. But uh, Samuel was very much alive at the time. In fact, mm. this play was 10 years old when we did it. It was at its 10th birthday. Yeah. And now it must be about its 60th. But. Um, but he didn't have uh, he didn't have a um, a trust telling him how he could um, what he could write or what stage directions he could put in, and um, yeah. we we took not I shouldn't say we took liberties with it, but we did it in a way that uh, wasn't the way he'd he'd um, he'd prescribed in the printed text. But then, of course, he went on and did other productions himself that yeah. didn't that had nothing to do with the uh, his own stage directions. Yeah, so, um, all of those, so all I think of those that's variations. the thing about these these trusts or whatever you call them. They're um, they they don't honour the um, the writers. And in any case, if we want a playwright to keep living and uh, speak to new generations, the whole point about um, good. Playwriting is that uh, it's open to reinterpretation mm. constantly. Uh, you know, where would we be if Shakespeare had... Uh, Said they must yeah, be done like this right. and no yeah, other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, where's the Shakespeare estate, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. for people who aren't familiar with Crap's Last Take as a Beckett play, it's one of... Having the last time I saw a production of it was at Adelaide Festival about I think four years ago or four yeah. kind mm, of uh, two thousand and fifteen, um, and it kind of given that kind of Beckett can have the, the people who don't know Beckett plays well might think of them as being a bit uh, fairly dark, being difficult. I was surprised at how light the production is compared to yeah. some of the other plays I'd seen, and that's one of the things that we've been finding. You know, like I. Max did this about 50 years ago. I did this 16 years ago. And and I think that the interesting thing is that you do find in, 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 a, in doing it again new things. And one of the beauties that mm-hmm. we've found is the humour in it. Oh, the, yeah. It's so funny. And he, and he is writing That's a clown. That's why to do it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he's doing a cl- he wrote a clown play as mm. far as he was concerned, I think. That, that was part of what he, his intention was. We're not trying to do it as a white-faced clown play, but um, oh, the Beckett estate would come down on it. No, but it's, <laughs> but it's, but it's it, it is, it is light. It, it, but it, it, the other interesting thing is that it's incredibly dark as well. So it, it's, yeah. it's, it, it lives in this incredible dichotomy between those two and and it's and that's its that's its struggle its internal struggle is between the lightness and the darkness literally metaphorically you know so many ways and there is a real darkness to the play because the character of crap is sitting there listening to tapes of his life from from a period which uh, was full of hope and potential romance mm. and light and he's now alone and surrounded well, by that's right but that's, that, that's the nature of, that's the, that's the nature of dealing with the past you're trapped in the past but you want to escape it and, and crap certainly is in that state he's uh, 
constantly, every day, every year of his life that goes past, he's, uh, he's, he's trying to create a new life, but he can't escape the old one. And it seems to me that the humour in it is the humour... All right, it's the humour of despair, but <laughs> he, uh, Beckett finds comedy in despair, and that's a good way to deal with despair. Yeah, Otherwise, absolutely. The, that, uh, you know, you just go, go out and... Uh, dare I say, top yourself. That's well, the only alternative. Well, that, you know, what's the Dorothy Parker line? You, know, you might as well live. I mean, it's it's that sort of feeling where if, if you don't deal with it in, in in a humorous way, if you don't find the joy in it, what, what's the you know the, the alternative is is much darker than it, and and it doesn't solve anything. And and I think that's that's the important thing about this is that he he keeps. He keeps trying to resist against his past and and push back against his past, but at the same time, his past is the trap that keeps on pulling him, you know. So he's in a sort of spiral. But it's but but we learn from that that it's not. You know, he may not his his future may not be great, but we we learn. It's it's for us. It's that it, 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 it's there. It's not it's not crap learning. And and um, he he doesn't exist. He's just a character on a, on a page. <laughs> now, in terms of the role itself, Max. So you played it fifty years ago. Yes. Can What's it like returning to, well, to a role like this after such a period of time? Well, who, who knows? All I know that uh, all I I, rem- I don't remember lines from it. I remember the, the basic story of the play, as it were, and I can remember uh, running a lot. We yeah. had there was a lot of running involved in that production, uh, but I was running as a an older person. So I suppose my running was um, it was a, an attempt, a sort of clownish young person's attempt to uh, uh, to caricature uh, an old person running. Uh, so you was sort of did a waddle. Well, now I'd, I waddle anyway. So my <laughs> character doesn't need any caricature anymore. I suppose that's a long way round of saying. Yes, I'm. I'm doing it without we, caricature. We found a little moment of, of running yesterday. Yeah, well, I think you know, right. there's, there's yes. a moment when he goes off for a drink, and there was yeah. such excitement yeah. in Max, and he actually he had a little a little run of yes. sorts, so like a trot, more like than a run. Maybe yes, like I wasn't pacer. sure whether you approved of that. Yeah, oh, no, no, I thought it was there was something really, really. The, but but the, the, that's the other thing too is you find different energies and mm. different paces in it. And can I also say too, just on this this point of of um, of age and playing. age, Age, I think that that's one of the the really interesting things. Everyone wants to do, you know, every young actor wants to play Waiting for Godot because they think, oh, it's so you know, there's so much stuff to be found in there. But you know, there's something in that play that that you have to do it when you get to that age. And there's something in Crap's Last Tape too that is really important about not just playing it because you think, oh, it's a great chance for me to show my chops. It's actually about being that person, being in that state and us as an audience watching somebody who is that age rather than pretending to be that age. Now, one of the things that intrigues me about Beckett uh, is something that uh, Sam Strong uh, directed a uh, Endgame for the MTC back in 2015. Mm. It was the year that everybody seemed to be doing Beckett, mm. Perth Festival, Adelaide yeah, Festival, yeah. MTC, STC. But there was some a comment about uh, that Sam made uh, about 
the what the power of Beckett is in letting go and letting it impact on your subconscious, uh, and it's about le- letting the play work some kind of magic. So instead of trying to look at it and understand it at a rational level, mm. at a rational level, you should sit back in the theatre and and let it speak to your subconscious. How do you both feel about Beckett as a writer, as an artist, and what's his impact on you? All the best uh, uh, playwriting is. Uh you have to approach that way. It doesn't matter who who it's written by. If it's, you can intellectualise as much as possible. You can theorise. You can learn from and digest and analyse what you learn from the plays. But if they if they if they're to work, if they if they speak, if they're capable of speaking mm-hmm. through an actor or directors. Uh, it's it's because. They live on the page. There's no way to read them aloud intelligently without uh, inhabiting them. They come to life just be, by, by, by dint of doing Anyway, that's my attitude to Beckett. I think, um, and so of course some people are better at it than others. Well, Beckett, it, to me, is one of the top one or two playwrights ever. Uh, and... Um, I won't say that it's impossible to perform him badly because um, that would be tempting fate, <laughs> but it's impossible but it not to perform him um, if, you, if you read him honestly. Yeah. That's and, my, my and feeling. And I think that, that you know, that's a good point that Sam makes, I reckon, that, that Sam Strong makes, not Sam, well, Sam Becker too, but, but the, that thing of, um, of, of just really absorbing and letting it happen to you. But the other thing that I think that's interesting that Max just said is that thing about inhabiting and being inside it and not trying to make it say something, not trying to push an agenda, but actually really just allowing the words to come out, allowing the moment to happen and, and finding the profundity in that, in the simplicity of it. And that's what he's, that's what he's really good at is, 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 uh, is creating a situation where that is what happens. You, if, you, if you try, if, if you just do the words, if you just say the words, if you just allow those moments to happen, then, then the audience captures a million things. And that's why people write theses about this, because, you know, you could, you could analyse every placement of phrasing and, and the, the concision and, the, you know, why, why does he put the verb around this way and so on and so on. And that's great, you know, for, on an intellectual level, but just to simply observe it and watch it and, and let it happen to you, all of that happens. You don't, you, you, you don't consciously process it in, as, as a thesis. You just simply take all of those multitude of meanings in. Well, Geordie Brookman, the artistic director of the State Theatre Company in South Australia, told me that uh, you should approach Beckett the way you approach a piece of music or a piece of mm-hmm. visual art, yeah. where you yeah. go with kind of uh, fewer preconceived notions than you do with a piece of theatre. So let Beckett just wash over you and trust that he will speak to you on a number of levels simultaneously. Here, and, here. Mm. And, that's, and that's as artists as much as, as, as an audience, you know, as well. As an audience, you go to a piece of music and you let it happen to you. You, should, you certainly should do that. Here, but but as an artist, you should not try to go in and and push it and force it and make it to do something. What's been really interesting in this production, like when I did it last, I did it at at La Mama, Little La Mama in Faraday Street, and we really played with that space. I remember John Flowers coming down the, a ladder from the trapdoor, and we really played with the particularities of being in that room. 
working with Max here, and I'm so glad that Max asked me to, to, to take this on, it, it, we're playing in 45, which is this beautiful, empty, open space, and it's allowed us to create a totally different feeling and environment to what I did. And, and, and I've had no desire to go back to what it, my old version at all. It's, it, you, you, you simply allow yourself into the work in the environment that, that's there. The play is Crap's Last Tape by Samuel Beckett. It's on from the 31st of October. Until That's the, the preview, yeah, on the yep. 31st. Yes. Uh, and then the season, uh, it runs through until the 11th of November. Uh, and you can book by going to 45downstairs.com. If you've not been to 45 Downstairs before, as its name suggests, it's located at 45 <laughs> Flinders Lane in and Melbourne. It is downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and if you need wheelchair access, you can call the theatre and they will arrange that. Indeed. So you can be let in via the uh, the, the lane at the back. Yes, yeah, Sparks yeah. Lane at the back, which comes off Flinders Street. Street. Yeah. So, look, as a final question for both of you, um, some people think Beckett is... There's, before I'd seen any Beckett, I was like, Beckett is difficult, Beckett is dark, Beckett is po-faced, and I discovered this glorious kind of dark humour running throughout it. And there's... a Crap's Last Tape is a very funny play, mm. but as we've established, it's also a dark play. Is, it, is the challenge finding the sweet spot between comedy and tragedy to make this play work? Max? Uh, I don't... I have never found it a problem finding the comedy. Uh, I find it hard to uh, avoid it. <laughs> uh, Which is where your director comes in. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> but, that, but that's also the joy of actually working with a, with a person who does have no trouble finding the comedy. You really, you, and for me, it's a, it, it's about crafting that, and and it's also and for Max to be able to craft it as well, and and trusting Max's experience in that as well. Like, I'm not a comedy director in the sense that I do, you know, shows for the no, comedy festival. No, you didn't tell me this. <laughs> oh, whoops. No. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but the joy is working with somebody who has that knowledge. And we talk about, you know, those those conversations about, about you know, this is the way it needs to work in order for the, the gag to happen. But at the same time, it's not about trying to play the gag. It's, it's, and, and I suppose you're talking about finding, finding the sweet spot. It's actually about just letting the sweet spot occur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crap's Last Tape by Samuel Beckett at 45 Downstairs. Bookings at 45downstairs.com. It, uh, the production will star Max Gillies and is directed by Lawrence Strangio. Thank you both so much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.